If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a review and tap the follow button so that you never miss an episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Monday, the best night of the week. And you know what that means? It's time for another episode of RFRX, your prescription for coping. I'm Kara. I'll be your host this evening or whatever time of day it is for you. And I have with me the amazing, the wonderful, the co-host whose voice has finally recovered from breathing the smoke. Rob Palmer, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Thank you for having me. And unfortunately, we passed our uh, speaking problems to poor Helen. Yes, I feel bad. It's just going around. I guess we've all had it now. <laughs> I'm filling in for Helen because she can't speak properly now. Oh, it's terrible. Yes. And I'm so glad you were available. At least we all lost our voices at different times. <laughs> Perfect. So there's that. Uh, hopefully uh, nothing's going to happen to David. He's probably getting very worried now. <laughs> the only remaining host who hasn't gotten laryngitis yet. <laughs> oh, good times. Without any further ado, Rob, would you like to introduce our speaker? Yes, I would indeed. So Andrew Pledger is a content creator, activist, and writer who uses social media to share his story and inspire others. He's a religious trauma survivor who was homeschooled K-12 and raised in a fundamentalist Christian cult. The Independent Fundamentalist Baptist Movement, which I have never heard of, at least by that name, so this will be fascinating to hear about. Uh, Andrew brings awareness to spiritual and religious abuse and being part of the LGBTQ plus community and experiencing religious trauma has inspired him to pursue psychology to help survivors. After being homeschooled, he found his way to Bob Jones University. He attended the Fundamentalist Christian College for over three years until he was expelled in his last semester for sharing his story and denouncing fundamentalist teachings. I guess that's not a surprise. Andrew is here today to share the experiences of his upbringing and the level of control and mental abuse he experienced at Bob Jones University. He has a limited po podcast premiering soon. I guess limited podcast means just scheduled for several episodes. Uh, Surviving Bob Jones University, a Christian cult. This podcast explores the school's history, the psychology of fundamentalism, the criteria for cults, and survivors' experiences. So welcome, Andrew. Hey, Andrew, thanks for joining us. Welcome yes. to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited um, to talk about my story and be an inspiration to other people. Wonderful. And we are so excited to have you. I have been looking forward to hearing from you for several weeks since I found out oh. you were coming on the program. I can't wait to talk about your experiences. I didn't know anything about this until three hours ago and Helen couldn't make it, so, but I'm still excited. I would have learned about this IFB stuff. I've never heard of this. And I, don't, I don't know. I've always hear, heard about Bob Jones in, in the, you know, in, yeah. from people generally, but never anyone who went there and what the specifics are. Oh, I see. Okay. Got you. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to come here and talk about it. Yeah. Well, let's get going. But before we do, um, did we cover everything? Is there anything else you want to tell us about I yourself felt... or what you've been up to lately? <laughs> yeah. I felt like, I guess an update then that I didn't add in my bio is that I did end up when I was expelled, I, oh yeah, I transferred to another college and I ended up graduating 
back in May of this year, actually. So oh, I finished college. So um, yeah. So screw me to well you. <laughs> well done. Well done. What did you study? Yeah. So originally at Bob Jones, I was a cinema major and then I switched to basically photography. Mm. And then when I was expelled and transferred, I ended up just changing to general studies with a concentration in psychology. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Excellent. That makes sense given your new interests and kind of change mm -hmm. of trajectory there. Well done. Way to adapt on the fly. Yes. <laughs> and having to transfer in your last semester, that's got to be stressful trying not to add years onto your, your time mm -hmm. in school. Ooh. Yes. Yeah. Thankfully, I just had to start over my senior year. So, and I was expelled at the very beginning of the second semester. So, they, like I would have been really upset if it was if it would have been like the last week of that semester that would have been tough yeah so did that come out as a total surprise to you because uh, you know just hearing in a retrospect I, I would expect a Christian college to not want you to you know you know yeah things and yeah I mean there, I would there could be repercussions yeah I mean I would definitely I would love to dig into that later if we could <laughs> if you don't mind it's just it's yeah, a lot sure. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, well, let's start at the beginning. Um, tell us about how you grew up. What was your religious background? What is this independent fundamentalist Baptist movement? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the IFB, which I'll just refer to as that because it's a lot easier to say. Um, yeah, so I grew up in a religious cult that was a part of that movement. And this movement was really a reaction to Baptist denominations to what they thought were becoming more liberal and the reason they're called independent is because there there's no higher organization over these churches people refer to it as a denomination but it's more of a movement I would say than anything else so all of these independent fundamental Baptist churches they can function however they want there's no oversight there's no accountability unless the church itself puts accountability in place because each one can do whatever it wants. That's the whole purpose of it. Um, but what they really all have in common is this really fundamentalism, the literal interpretation of the Bible. And one of their extreme views is that the King James Version Bible is the only legitimate one. Oh, God. God. I hear I hear people calling the ACA and it's like they, they actually think King James sat down and wrote it himself. So therefore that's the right Bible. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, it's like they think it's the original text. No, no, yes, no. But, basically. But King Honestly, James yeah. you know, sat down and wrote it. And for some reason, his version is the correct one. You know, it, it's bizarre. <laughs> I think it's, they think that because it, I think it was the first English one translated. So they, And they, they claim that it's perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. It's inerrant. And that's another thing they claim. And all other versions of the Bible are influenced by Satan in some way. So this very extreme take on what they claim is the only like the right interpretation or the only legit version of the bible and something i want to emphasize too which i recently found out was that the duggars they were um independent fundamental baptist and the iblp that was their homeschooling stuff but their church was ifb until they decided to do their own home church at least so i recently found that out which i did not know um so yeah that just i'm sure that helps 
put in people's mind the kind of beliefs and background in that. So there's a very strict lifestyle that you're expected to follow in that environment, very strict gender roles. Women had to have long hair. Women could only wear dresses. And with the independent fundamental Baptist movement, there's this, I think separation is a key part of it amongst everything else, separating from everyone who disagrees with you, even other Christians, even people who might still believe in the gospel and in Jesus and in heaven to hell. If you disagree um, on other doctrines or areas, you're, you separate even like unbelievers and also other believers. So there's this extreme isolation from society that is expected in that environment. And the IFB also has a lot of, from my experience in the cult that I was in, it was a lot of fear that was used. And, you know, that's common a lot in Christianity. Um, but as I've talked with other survivors and things, they did take it really far, I think, with the fear. And they would claim that they have the love of God. <laughs> they would claim that they love like Jesus. But the tactics that they would use were based in fear, 100%. So I remember at eight years old hearing this horrific sermon on hell, and I was just so scared as a child because it was so descriptive and so violent. And I have all these adults around me telling me that this is real. And so I remember this was around, I was eight years old, that I went to bed that night and I couldn't sleep. I was just so scared. And I was always told there's spiritual warfare um, going like going on all around us. And my mom came in and she walked me through this prayer to say, um, and I said it, and, you know, and I felt relief in that moment, like, oh, but, you know, it was really manipulation. You know, they give you this thing to be scared of, this thing to worry about, and then they give you the solution to it and like it's really like emotional and psychological abuse I think to do that to a child and it's just looking back it's like my parents would obviously never subject me to a horror movie that's R, but yet they would subject me to these horrific violent teachings and rhetoric in the IFB movement and um and really why um, I say that the group I grew up in was a cult, and this is something I honestly didn't know until I got out and really started exploring cult education, looking into the criteria for cults, um, but it was so normal to me, but once I was like a fish out of water, in a sense, looking back, one of the things that made me realize that it was a cult, and it was something that bothered me growing up, but I didn't have language to put to it, but it was the devotion that people had to our pastor it was very extreme. He had his own portrait that was in the middle of our lobby. He had his own parking spot with his name on it. Just he was put in like a really high status and people would just, were just so drawn to him and so devoted. And it just kind of irked me a little bit um, as a child and like I didn't understand why people were so enamored with him and even my own parents they did whatever he said because I remember growing up there were a lot of rules in my fundamentalist household and I was homeschooled my entire life and if there were certain things that I would want to do like 
oh, well, why can't we go to the movie theater? Oh, well, Brother Bobby says we can't because um, it's not good for our testimony. And what, you know, what would other people think? And there was another rule that was really weird that it was called mixed bathing. And it was where prepubescent children were not allowed to swim together in the swimming pool. So growing up, I was not allowed to go to the swimming pool with um, children of the opposite gender because mixed bathing <laughs> was a sin. And that was just a really strange rule in that movement. Um, and I think another thing was the cult that I grew up in, they were so obsessed with numbers. It was about numbers, numbers, numbers. How many people can we recruit? How many people can we get to come in? And um, the, I'm not going to say the name of the church because I know like we're not allowed to on this, but um, it was one of the larger IFB churches in America. It had a massive bus ministry. We At one time, we had 52 buses. And for people who aren't familiar with the bus ministry, it is something that is really known in the IFB movement. And it's where these churches would take all these buses and bus in these kids from around the county or the city and bring them to the church. Usually it was like for a service trying to present the gospel. And so in the cult I grew up in, we had literally like, it looked like scoreboards on each side of the auditorium about how many numbers we were bringing in and how how many kids were on each bus. They were so obsessed with numbers. And, you know, it grew from this small church. I think it started in 1949 was when it started. And the pastor that I was talking about earlier, he pastored there for 61 years. So it was very humble beginnings in the beginning. And it he built it into this massive thing. You know, once it was a small church to start with nine people and the original pastor was someone else. And then he came along a few years later, but he was there for 61 years. And he built it then to a church in the, in the 90s, I want to say like easily 2000 people. Um, and this massive bus ministry. And so, yeah, so looking back on that, the extreme devotion, the demand for isolation, even for people who were different than us, and we had the absolute truth, we had the right interpretation, the extreme take on the King James Version, the strict rules that we had to follow, um, and also like slamming of even secular education, encouraging homeschooling, and it had it had its own Christian school attached to it also. Um, and this church also only promoted IFB colleges. So if people are familiar, like Hiles Anderson, which that's where my parents graduated was Hiles Anderson. It was attached to one of the biggest IFB, or it was the biggest IFB church in America, and that's where they met. So my parents met at that college. My dad was studying to be um, a pastor um, there. He got a bachelor's degree, I think, in like pastoral ministry. And my mom was studying to be a Christian school teacher, and they both grew up in this movement, and they decided that they wanted to raise their children in this movement and homeschool them. So I am the middle of two brothers. I have a younger brother, older brother. My older brother graduated from Pensacola Christian College, which is IFV related. Um, and, you know, for me growing up in that, um, I was born in 2000, just for context. Um, but yeah, I was born in 2000. 
And it was so normal to me. I, at first, you know, my first memories growing up, we were just a normal Christian family. I thought all Christians lived this way. <laughs> and I thought we were right. It was the only way or only approach to Christianity. So um, Andrew, did, did you really not know that there are Catholics and, <laughs> you know, all the others? I mean, I think it got to a certain age when I would become aware of that. But from an early age, no, it probably wasn't until maybe like around like nine or 10, maybe I was aware of that because probably like looking out the window as we drove along the road and seeing other churches and probably wondering, you know, who are these other people? And I, at one time, I do remember probably like around nine or 10, definitely hearing or noticing a lot of anti-Catholic um, sermons and things, things like, oh, Catholics worship Mary. Um, they're wrong, blah, blah, blah. Were they were they going to hell? Yes. Every literally anyone who disagreed yeah. with us is going to hell. <laughs> oh, by the way, so yeah, you mentioned the, the, the putting the fear of hell is a big thing. Did did you guys worry about um revelation and you know the rapture, the end times? Was that a big Oof. deal too? They did talk a lot about the end times of Revelation and any kind of catastrophe or serious thing that happened in the world that was a sign of the end times. And they never tried to guess when it was going to happen. Um, so there weren't one, you didn't have a pastor who was one of these people who made predictions. It's going to be this date and they put big bill, bill, billboards up. No, people sold no, their houses. Thankfully not. And, you know, I think in a sense, he would always say it could happen in any moment, mm. any second. And so it always made you so worried that, you know, you always felt so hyper vigilant, and it made you really want to spread the gospel <laughs> or recruit people into the group. And so there's a strong sense of urgency in this environment. And Christian nationalism is also throughout all of the IFB. Uh, like voting for certain people in local politics and also on a government level, you know, there's supposed to be separation of church and state, but they talked a lot about politics in this environment. And there's this fear that if our country doesn't take, put these fundamentalist teachings into the government, that God's going to judge our country. So there's this sense of urgency, like, oh, we're all going to suffer together, even the good righteous ones. So we need to get this into Yes, dominionism, someone commented. Yeah, so they wanted to dominate everything they believed was the right way. And in their minds, people who don't believe what they believe are blind to the truth. And they are, in a sense, enlightened to God's word or God's truth. And that everyone else, they don't know what's best for them. But they know what's best for everyone because they have the truth. And it's just such a scary approach to the government and to people who need rights because if this and you know we've seen it with the supreme court in other areas in the united states with this ideology starting to take hold and there's organizations like the family research council um that are trying to infiltrate the government um but you know, again, like with, I don't know if people saw the shiny, happy people documentary, but yes, I just watched that. Oof. So again, it's, it has, a, it has the same teachings as the Institute of Basic Life Principles. So the family is such an important thing to the IFB movement. And they do encourage you highly to be fruitful 
and multiply the earth. And like, I remember a family in my um, cults, they had nine children and they were still going. Um, and so they're, again, it's like training up these soldiers for Christ. So, and this, that's also why all these independent fundamental Baptist colleges exist because they want to put these ministers and have them, um, I think it's called church planting. That's what they would call it. Having all these churches all across the U S and to recruit, to get people saved is what they would call it get them involved, recruit more people and influence local politics and influence it on a bigger level. And I remember hearing growing up that, this is paraphrasing, but I remember hearing that, oh, America would be a much better place if they have people like us all throughout the government. It would be just a, such a wonderful country. And, you know, and this, I remember hearing this all throughout and, you know, I believed that for a while until I started really questioning. And for me, what made me really question this environment was my experiences with my sexuality not matching what they taught because they gave you all the answers. They gave you the structure. They gave you the community. They gave you purpose. They gave you everything you needed. There was no reason to leave or explore anything different. And, but for me, it wasn't, it didn't fit me. Like I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't fit into that binary system. I didn't belong in it. And so my experiences not matching what they taught really caused me to question. And it, it took a while because you don't have any sex education at all. So you don't have the language to put to what you're experiencing. So for me, um, oh, because like they would always emphasize and compare gay people or queer people to murderers and pedophiles. So it was just extreme, extreme take. And so I'm like, oh, well, I'm not that. So I must be straight. So this very, very black and white thinking around sexuality. Um, but for me also struggling with mental illness um, in my teen years was a, a major thing that made me question it also. Um, you know, in the environment, if you are struggling with your mental health, it's because of sin, you're not believing or trusting enough, it's all on you. If you would just pray, obey and trust in God, you would have no mental health issues at all. So I would do what they would tell me in the IFB is just to pray more, believe more, um, focus on certain verses in the Bible, meditate upon them. Um, but it wasn't working for me. And at that time, I didn't know that I was experiencing religious trauma from a lot of the teachings that I was subjected to all those years about hell, about your worth. And another thing that was confusing to me in the IFB was they would make you feel so worthless. They would break you down to, and some people call it worm theology, like you're nothing. And, but there would be times when out of the blue, it would be like, oh, but you're so special. God has a plan for you. And what I'm looking back and what I've learned, it really modeled a narcissistic abusive relationship because in the beginning it was loving. It was like, oh, come, we're a community. And then they get you all of a sudden, oh, you're going to go to hell. You're worthless. God can't stand to look at you. God can't stand you. And a lot of even more extreme with the LGBTQ teachings of you are an abomination and yeah. so much. And so that God 
I mean, wants to destroy you because the Sodom and Gomorrah story was told so much. I heard it all the time growing up. And is it um, my my impression of the independent fundamental Baptist church is that that's one of their main talking points, isn't it? As far as like, they're not just anti-LGBTQ+, but many of the churches are pro-violence towards the community. Was that your experience? Mm -hmm. That that is and like uh, we sadly i've seen a lot of viral sermons that will come from clips of these ifb uh, preachers and i heard growing up that gay people deserve to die of aids that was god's punishment so yeah a lot of violence and violent rhetoric towards the lgbtq plus community and so you know growing up in that you know, I, I was a very homophobic person, you know, it was always the other, everyone else was evil except us in the group. So they had that very extreme us versus them mindset, which is so common in cults. Um, and, you know, when I still continue with my mental health issues, my teen years, struggling a lot with depression and then trying to cover it up because of the shame in the environment, when you struggle with that, you were seen as a spiritually inferior or as a moral failure in a sense and you know eventually like as uh, I think it was around 16 years old um that was when I think I stopped or some like I stopped repressing my sexuality and it just couldn't be repressed or suppressed anymore Mm -hmm. and I think that was when I think I had heard a bit more to understand um about gay people and so that was when at that point I realized oh well I am gay and you know that was devastating Mm -hmm. um it was one of the worst things that I could have been in that environment and so it was just that brought me into a deeper depression with that and it resulted in just a lot of horrible symptoms from that. And thankfully, I was able to get out of that state. But I remember getting to the point of having to realize that I didn't like being a part of the IFB. And that was something that I had tried to fight against because if you don't enjoy going to church or being in that environment, that's a sign that you're not saved or going to hell. So they, it's, it was, what's interesting about the IFB is that they'll tell you, you have eternal security. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But what I heard in the group that I grew up in was that if you were truly saved, there here are a bunch of signs that you're saved and it was always following the group's doctrine happily and if you broke their rules and their teachings um you had to feel bad about it because you're supposed to have the holy spirit and if you didn't feel bad about it you didn't have the holy spirit so it was always like oh yes you're always saved but also if you don't do what we tell you and do it happily you're going to hell that's a sign you're not saved so there's a bit of a contradiction or really a, a manipulation with that. So that I, it's just agonizing to believe that you're you're going to hell if you don't conform to this, if you don't enjoy it. So I think I avoided that for a long time. And so once I finally realized, I'm like, I just, this, I think in my own mind, still not having a language, but knowing that, okay, this is harmful. And this is harmful to me. I don't care if they say this is the answer, this is the right way. It's not working for me. 
But again, it's never the system. It's never the teachings. It's never the group. It's always put on you. You're not believing enough. You're not trusting enough. You're not spiritual enough. And so it's a very, very narcissistic um, dynamic to it. And I I remember growing up with a a similar situation to that. And it's, it's terrifying Mm -hmm. to, and it's, it's just what you said. It's such a contradiction because the line that you're hearing over and over again is, oh, God loves you. You're special. And once you're saved, you know, you're going to heaven no matter what. You can never lose that. But then all the time, there are all these things that will come up where, oh, well, I guess you're not actually saved. Oh, you don't think this? You don't hear the Holy Spirit talking to you? Oh, you had this kind of thought or urge? Oh my goodness, a Christian wouldn't have thought that or done that or felt that. And Mm -hmm. it's always things that you can't really do anything about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And mm it's terrifying. And like there were definitely moments throughout my childhood where looking back i'm like oh my gosh that's religious trauma but i didn't know that as a child and so i think one of my first memories of course was you know when i got saved at eight years old that horrific sermon that i heard but another memory i have from my childhood was an instance of rapture anxiety um so i was homeschooled my entire life but my mom did get us involved with um, a 4-h club which is a really a big homeschool thing now um, but it was mainly homeschoolers that was a part of this extracurricular kind of club. And we would do field trips to certain things. And we were doing a field trip to one of our members' farms. And I remember we were at the farm and everyone was in the front yard waiting for the tour to start. And I went to the bathroom by myself. And when I came back, everyone was gone. Like two minutes earlier, the entire yard was full of people. But when I came back, everyone was gone and I heard no one. And I looked around, I ran around the entire house looking for people and no one was there. And I was 100% certain that I had been left behind. I didn't believe enough. And I was screaming and I was yelling for everyone. And I was yelling for my mom. I was like, where are you? And I screamed and I screamed and no one answered. And I ran and thankfully, you know, they had all, they had literally left me behind (laughs) and they had just forgotten me. And they had already started on this tour and I'm running down this path looking for them. And I finally see them in the distance. And I'm just so relieved. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I wasn't left behind. They're actually, they're still here. And, and I was of course, like really upset at everyone for leaving me, (laughs) abandoning me in that moment. But it's just, I was so relieved that it was not the end times. And that was, that was my first memory of really rapture anxiety, but yeah, throughout my childhood and teen years, it was always, you know, still struggling with fear of hell and a lot of shame around sexuality and just sexual feelings just in general um, for being human um, and just always trying so hard to repress my humanity because my humanity was bad and being cut off from myself. I'm not supposed to trust myself or my heart. Um, so there's just just extreme isolation from yourself. And so I just kept, I'm like, oh, I'll just go with their structure. I'll keep believing, I'll keep trusting, but it just wasn't working for me. And it got to the point for me 
um, that it, I think it was at 17 years old. You know, I was at that point, you know, still struggling, struggling with mental health, but accepting that, okay, I'm gay and I hate this environment. It's toxic. I can't tell anyone this, either of these things. Like if I tell someone I don't like this environment, that's just going to make, number one, make my parents more strict because they were so controlling of me and my brothers growing up, like the movies we had, books, TV, everything. And I remember growing up, there was a moment that I didn't want to go to church. And that made my dad concerned because that's a sign of me not being saved. And so it made him more adamant and more authoritarian, really, towards me. And so I learned that if I don't conform to these things, it's just going to hurt me in the long run. It's just going to end up on me. And so my my dad, he had followed James Dobson's parenting <laughs> techniques. Um, so I learned to be the perfect child from a very young age or I would be hit so they did hit us I think I remember five years old was the earliest memory of me being hit um growing up there's probably but, something in the King James spare the rod spoil the child something something like that yeah. yes mm -hmm. and so I, I didn't get spanked that much growing up because I was always you know I learned the hard way but when I did get spanked it was always really horrific. And so I would always do everything, avoid it at all times if possible, whenever I could. Um, and, you know, they were turning me into a soldier for Christ, a perfect, obedient person who doesn't think for themselves, who just conforms and obeys. And in, in the IFB, it's all about breaking the will of the child. Mm -hmm. It's not about the child's needs at all it's not even considered in that environment it's like just oh if you feed your children and you give them food and clothing they're good they're fine and in, in that environment abuse abuse only happens in an unsaved family who has alcoholics that abuse doesn't oh, happen yeah and a fundamentalist christian family and that's what i heard growing up if we weren't so being like, recorded i can tell you about my cousin who was a fundamentalist christian who did all of his nine kids and went to prison after oh, he went wow. to Valley Forge Christian College, by the way. So yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's yeah. what the parenting plan is that's being taught. Like you mentioned, you know, James Dobson. Yep. And, mm -hmm. Yep. That was the the same program my family used. And it's, you know, you're told you're a bad parent if you're not hitting your kids because, yeah. you know, they're gonna be sinners and you didn't stop them. It's wild. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so at 17 years old, I had by myself without telling anyone decided to leave the independent fundamental Baptist movement because I knew it was harmful but I didn't know really anyone outside of it I was thankfully able at, at 17 years old I did get a job at a fast food place so that really helps me get to know some people on the outside but no one really knew the, the extreme environment that I came from I tried to keep that separate I guess so people just thought I was a regular normal person at least you know with a regular life not knowing about the extreme background i was from so, so during that you... during that time did you oh sorry go ahead. oh no go ahead rob you're good i was gonna say during that time did a lot, a lot of callers you know who I, I often ask how did you hear about recovering from religion oh by watching an aca show so or by watching some youtube debate where we come up i mean did you do that kind of thing did you investigate on youtube or listen to podcasts for atheists content 
Yeah, I mean, for me at that time, I guess at 17, I still considered myself a Christian and believing the gospel. And it was too scary for me to even consider questioning hell, at least. Um, and so that was something that, and I would I, I would argue from my personal experience that I was emotionally addicted to Christianity, just so dependent on it. Um, because I remember trying to break the habit of my daily devotions and praying, just trying to see what would change. Because <laughs> I, I did them every fucking day. I was a good Christian kid who prayed. And I remember, I think I went, uh, the longest I went was a month without it. And it was the emotional toll that it took on me. It was just, you know, of course I was still so miserable, but it was like the high was taken away from me when I would, you know, come to God's word or whatever, come to the Bible and feel all this shame and it would remove that from me. But the thing is like, they gave me the problem and they gave me the solution. It was just an awful cycle, but it, it took me a while to get out of it. And it was hard to, because I was told that, oh yes, you're going to feel miserable when you stop doing these things. This is the Holy, you're starving the Holy spirit. But for me looking back, I'm like, no, I was emotionally dependent on this. It was a quick fix. It wasn't, didn't get to any root problems that I was going through. And I was coming off kind of the emotional high of that. So it, it took a while for me to, uh, my mind to adjust, but eventually that like difficulty of not doing that, it took a while, but, and it was a relief to me because I'm like, will this ever end? Do I have to stay dependent on this? Um, and so that was eye opening for me to eventually get over that. And I think I was probably, I, I'm sure I had come across um, this um, recovering, probably early on recovering for religion. But like for me, the first introduction was like leaving the fold by Marlene Wimnell. Mm -hmm. That was the thing that, and I think a lot of people relate to that. that how really did you helped. find out about that resource? Yeah. So I think that was at, I think I was 18 years old and like, I think it was 17 or 18. That was when I finally got access to the internet because before that internet access was restricted throughout all of my childhood. So I had no way to explore other things. So once I did that, I started exploring fundamentalism and I, I, I there was one book I wrote, not wrote, um, I found about the heart i can't remember what it was called but it was something about the harmfulness of fundamentalism and i had ordered it from amazon and i remember going to the door running to get the package before my dad would see but he saw me get the package he's like what what is that and i was like oh i like it's it's just a book he's like what's the book and he's like i want you to open it now in front of me and i was like oh shit <gasps> and so he made me open it up in front of him and I'm like yeah it's just a book on fundamentalism he's like what about fundamentalism and I was like how it could be harmful and he was just so upset he was like he's like I'm not letting you read that he's like he's like I'm worried about your faith but in reality he was worried about his because he was worried about the questions I was going to ask him I think about it and so he's like yeah you're not allowed to read that and he took it away from me and he hid it in the house. And so I was really upset about that. And when he was gone for work, because he uh, worked full you time. You found the book, didn't you? I found the book. I found the book <laughs> very easily. Um, 
yeah I, someone said treating this book like they just found your pot like yeah that's how it was i was i was treated like a criminal yeah, yeah. Well, they spent 18 years trying to make sure you didn't get exposed to any other ideas besides these and you were going to undo it all with this book yeah <laughs> that's how satan gets you and the thing is that book it sat under my bed for probably a month before i opened it because i was so scared of it i was so scared of information that was different from what I was told because that meant uncertainty. The uncertainty would be gone. The structure would be gone. And that's all I knew. But for me, like the pain was so much. I'm like, it's, I'm like, it's going to be worth it to question this. It's going to be worth it if it's going to mean a better life. So I slowly got through that book and like literally every chapter I read, it was like my brain, my mind was like hurting. Like that's like the physical, like it was such a strange um feeling to experience that and so eventually after that book i was like okay leaving the fold that was the next one on my list which was just a catalyst <laughs> for me because she just does such a fantastic job of just covering everything but yeah so here i am fast forward deciding to leave this not telling anyone and but i still didn't know how to get away how do i leave this like I'm still dependent on my parents and I still really wanted to get a good college education. And so, and my parents, they would only help me pay for a fundamentalist Christian college. So I was like, all right, is there a fundamentalist Christian college that gives a legitimate degree that's accredited? Because all the ones that have been pushed on me growing up, none of them were, were legit. It was always in the ministry or you could only work in the IFB movement. They kept, that's how they kept you in. And the only college that I could find that was fundamentalist that was accredited was Bob Jones University. Wow. Which like, if anyone's not familiar with that, that's wild to me that, that, that it's accredited. I don't know about you, but I remember I was homeschooled a little bit too, and also went to a church school and we used textbooks from Bob Jones University, but the problem was the private school, when I went to this private church school, they were actually accredited. So we had to take achievement tests at the end of the year to make sure we passed certain milestones, but they finally had to stop using the Bob Jones University textbooks for several of the subjects, the main one being science, because we would always fail <laughs> the tests for the classes oh, no. that we use those books for. <laughs> Ooh. Wow. Yikes. Yeah. So yeah, I, I was there. My freshman year was in 2018 um, at Bob Jones University. And I was dreading going there. I did not want to go to a Christian college, but there wasn't really a choice. And if I didn't go to Christian college, it was a stay in the IFB, stay in my parents' house where they're constantly watching, constantly controlling every part of my life. And so I was like, okay, I don't want to do this. I do want an education, but the only way out is if I get a good education where I can actually be in the outside world. And so were you actually at this point in time, was it the case that you didn't actually believe anymore, but you were pretending to still believe in order to be able to go to college and have your parents continued support? Yeah, that's a good question. At this point, I, I was ready to leave the fundamentalism, but I did still believe the gospel and that Jesus was God and that if I didn't believe I was going to hell. 
um, at this point, at least. And so, yeah, I, I go in there still kind of believing this, but not, but still having those doubts in my mind. You know what I mean? And struggling with those doubts and the fear of eternal damnation. And so I remember I, I did try to get out of going to Bob Jones with my mom and it did not go over well um, because I remember when I decided to go to Bob Jones, there was still a little worry about Bob Jones because my parents were concerned because Bob Jones does not take the KJV only stance. And as someone in the IFB, they were just so concerned by that. They were so upset about that. And they were also worried about what other people would think in our group that I was going to Bob Jones, that they might lead me astray or something like that. Oh, Bob so Jones. Bob Jones University was actually too liberal or, or not fundamental enough for your family. Wow. Yes. And Heathen. that was they're almost heathens there. Yes. And so that and what convinced them to let me go was that because I wasn't I was not majoring in ministry or pastoral stuff. They were like, you know what, Andrew, since you're not going to be in the ministry, we're okay with you going to Bob Jones. But they're like, if you were going to be in the ministry, we would not let you go there. Wow. And and so thankfully, my mom was able to get over that. And once she started telling me, like she imagined a terrible reaction from people because my my IFB um, cult church did not promote Bob Jones as a college for any of us to go to. It was Pensacola. Crown College, um, Hiles Anderson, West Coast, all these other different IFB associate colleges, and but not Bob Jones. They never promoted it. Was Valley uh, not, Forge Christian College one? It probably was. It sounds familiar. Um, I think Tennessee Temple was another one. I don't know if that still exists or not. Um, but yeah, so here they are. I remember the day they drove me in for my freshman year. I was just dreading it. And I remember driving in and just seeing like the iron barred fences with the spikes on top. And like we're driving in, just feeling like I'm going to prison. Uh... And I remember moving in uh, my dorm and just, you know, even though it was a very similar environment, I was away from my family. Like I was around my family all the time. And I didn't, I wasn't sure like, oh, can I function, you know, without my family? Because <laughs> we were just, we were so enmeshed, so codependent. And especially I had a very enmeshed relationship with my mother. So that was hard um, for me, but I needed to do, I needed to leave the family to detach, to become, try to become a, per a person, an individual in an environment that would still try to make me into this soldier for Christ. So I remember them driving away and I watched them through this iron barred fence watching them drive away and just wondering and just dreading I'm like I I'm so scared of being here I was also scared of like for my own safety as a queer person being at Bob Jones University literally not allowed to exist there as a person and I remember when I talked to someone about my experience at Bob Jones University they said to me you are describing the the a scene out of the giver which is a book i don't know if people have read that but it's basically this like dystopian community uh or, or supposed to be utopian but it's not but this 
community where you have to follow these strict guidelines and you're not allowed to express unpleasant emotions and everything is decided for you and that's what Bob Jones University was like and when you went to Bob Jones as a student that was out of state which I was and you were between the ages of 18 to 22 you were required to live in their dormitories it, you know, it didn't, you know, most colleges, which I looked this up, most colleges force you to stay only your freshman year in their dorms. And then sophomore through senior year, you can stay in an apartment or you can choose to stay or not. But at Bob Jones, if you're from out of state, you're in your 18 to 22, which is when most people go to college, at least the majority, you were required to stay on campus in their dormitories. And the reason for this was the hierarchical leadership that they had in every single dorm where you would always be watched. And a big part of Bob Jones University is you have all these required religious activities they do to keep you busy. So cults love to always keep you busy. And Bob Jones did that. We had required chapel services several days a week. We had to join a society, which um, basically is a Christian version of a fraternity or a sorority, but not fun at all. Exact opposite. <laughs> but not fun. <laughs> not at all. What did you do? Like, Ooh. were there different ones to pick from? Like, what were the themes? There were different, like, they had their typical Greek names or whatever, and they would always have this, and this was, like, the only party that Bob Jones was ha would have each year. It was the Greek Rush and it would be all these different booths and things that you would go to. There'd be food there, drinks, no alcohol, of course. Of course. Probably like probably Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid, they drink the drink. <laughs> drink the Kool-Aid. Have the Kool-Aid. <laughs> and you there would be all these people, and you know, every society would try to make them look the best that it could, like, oh, like you're the one for us. And I didn't want anything to do with society, but I was. It was required so i had to join a society and so that was part that was something that we had to meet with our society once a week and it was very similar to chapel but it was smaller and student-led and there was like the only difference was like a game at the end of each society meeting and outside of that though they did have like recreational sports you could do so that's something that made it a bit different um was and there hazing any hazing involved there there were some groups yes did do hazing and they've had issues with that. Usually, like, just there were a couple of, like, really, like, wild societies. And that would, there, there was always that one society. They were called the Rams, I think. They would always be known to just constantly be breaking and destroying things. And I remember when I visited the Rams, that was a big mistake. I visited them, and in their meeting, they punched a hole in the wall. I was there. So I was like, you know what? I'm like, this is not, not the society for me. And they were doing this not even on any alcohol. No, they were not on alcohol okay. that I know of. Or, or drugs. Okay. No. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they were, they, were, they were wild. They, they, they were, were high on the Holy Spirit when yes. they punched holes in the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and so another part of Bob Jones was discipleship groups. And this was a part of the dorm experience. This was, this was several nights a week from like 1030 to 11 at night. And the thing with discipleship groups is, every single group or every person on campus, we were given this specially crafted booklet that covered chapel sermons 
over the entire semester. And no one in the public had um, access to this. It was only had access to students. And this would be handed out after chapel. And of course, like we had to, there was chapel attendants who would scan our student ID so they know that we were there. And if we weren't there, we would get like 25 demerits. And you had to, if you accumulated 75 demerits, you would be what was called socialed, which meant you couldn't, you couldn't socialize with people basically at all. It was really awful. Yeah, you couldn't socialize with your friends. You couldn't date. Um, you couldn't be be involved in sports. So they would just, you know, the core part of your humanity, you know, socializing in community, you couldn't have that. So, wow. and the, so it's like a form of kind of like a disfellowing, disfellowshipping or or shunning mm -hmm. kind of yes, thing. Yes, yes. And you had to get 150 demerits to get kicked out of the school. <laughs> Okay, so I want to hear how you got to 150. And and that's the thing. I I did not like I did not I didn't get kicked out for demerits. It was an action that I did. So like there are actions that you so if you're caught with alcohol, you're kicked out. If you're caught with marijuana, you are kicked out. Um if you speak out against Christianity or fundamentalism or the way they approach things, if you don't go along, you get kicked out. And ah, there it is. <laughs> you want to go, you want to agree with them 100%. You openly talk about that. You're most likely going to also be kicked out. Um, but, but you knew that going into this. I knew like that. Yes, I did. Okay. And so kind of going, I want to like talk about the context kind of leading up to that. So here I am at this school conforming, trying to be the best Christian they think I should be but I was so miserable and I want to emphasize that I was so afraid to disobey and go against authority and this was always emphasized growing up very similar to like Gothard's umbrella of authority if you go out from under the umbrella of authority God is going to hurt you God is going to punish you and so I was so scared to do that at 18 years old I was so scared to go against authority figures afraid that God was going to harm me but it had to get it had I literally had to get to rock bottom to go against authority and I'd be struggled a lot with my mental health, you know, still struggling with my depression as it came back up and got triggered there. And I got to the point of nearly taking my own life in one of their dormitories. And it brought me to rock bottom to finally then, thankfully I was able to get help and call a hotline, but it, it got me to the point where like, I have to do something different than what they're telling me. And so for me, I realized that I had to find people on the outside because I didn't know people outside of fundamentalism i didn't know anyone and i was so scared of the outside world it was an evil awful place no one had love on the outside that's what i was taught they went they were oh, i think i remember like they were servants of satan that's what i was told or children of satan they were all influenced by satan and they had no idea of course but anyway so you had to stay away and but for me i had to get over that i had to just and it was very difficult um but i decided that the only way that i could find community was outside of that group and so long story short i ended up going to a local church which also we were required to go to church twice a week they would clear out the dorms every sunday morning like you had to be out of the dorms every sunday morning by a certain time or but you would get you were sick were there like exceptions yes you had okay. to let them know ahead of time and this is the funny thing the first rule i broke was an accident i slept in on a sunday morning 
And I woke up and my roommates are gone. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I slept in. And I hear the residence hall monitor or residence hall assistant checking the rooms. I hear doors open, close, open, close. And I hear this sound get closer and closer as I'm sitting up and I'm like, they're checking the rooms for people and I'm still here. And so I'm listening and they're getting closer and closer. And for me, I was a rule follower my entire life. Bob Jones, they are the ones that made me a rebel. They made me the rule breaker. They did this. It backfired real bad. <laughs> it did. <laughs> and I hear him getting closer and I'm like, I have like maybe 30 seconds or less to know what to do. And I'm like, I cannot be caught in here. So I'm at the top of my bunk. I shove the mattress out a foot from the wall and I slide down between the mattress and the wall. And I put the blanket over me, my blanket, and I hear the person come in and I like hold my breath and I'm waiting. And I'm like, and then I hear the door close <laughs> and I get up and they're gone and I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, I just broke a rule. And it felt really good. That felt really nice. Like this adrenaline rush was just going through all of me. And no one knew that I broke it. And that was another thing at Bob Jones. You never knew who you could trust because they had this snitch culture that was put into place where if you saw someone breaking a rule, you had you had to report them because if you didn't, and if that was found out later, you would get into just as much trouble as if you broke that rule yourself. Ooh, that's so, just like Scientology. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. So they had that snitching culture in place there where everyone was reporting on everyone. <laughs> and that's how they controlled you because leaders could only watch so much. They could only do so much to yeah. a certain extent. So that's when you turn the members on each other. Um, and, but no one, I learned that I couldn't let anyone know that I was breaking the rules because there was no way that no one, it was a hundred percent certain that no one would turn me in. And so that's when I began breaking the rules. And that really helps me then go to this church, which they had an approved church list you had to choose from, and you couldn't go outside of this church list unless you had to ask for permission. But I went outside of that list and I went to a progressive affirming church and it was at this church that i met this family at this visitors luncheon and i told them about my situation and i'm like i'm just looking for community i just want a place to feel safe like it like this is all i want like and i'm hoping to find it here in this church and they said to me they're like hey we live across the street from bob jones university literally live across the street we can take you here every week and so they started doing that and so i kind of started having this double life of going to this church with this family and it was just so strange to me because they didn't believe what we taught you know from my fundamentalist background they weren't considered saved they were considered servants of satan and so it was a lot of cognitive dissonance of oh well these people are the most loving people i've ever met but they don't believe what i was taught growing up they're not supposed to be loving or caring but yet they are and so that was something i just had to reconcile with in my mind of you know maybe they're wrong about this and once I got to know them more, they gave me a key to their house and I would literally walk across the street to their house and I would watch TV in peace, not worried about Bob Jones controlling any media that I consume. And once, you know, and then I would go to their house some nights for dinner 
and they would get to know me still. And so it was just, and I, and it was shocking to me how quickly my mental health changed when I was in an affirming environment. It was like, you know, like the week before I met them, I was suicidal, but then a week after I met them, those thoughts had subsided. It was so freeing to me. It was, it was, it gave me hope that there was hope and healing and love on the outside and it made me realize, oh, this, you know, this mental health issue, it's not my fault. My needs aren't being met. And now I'm finally starting to meet them. I needed that belonging, but I never had that belonging growing up. I fit in, but I never belonged. It's um, incredible to me that, uh, that you happen to come into contact with these people at that time. Obviously, mm -hmm. I'm not going to say it was divine providence because that's not it. But do they know? All of this, have you talked to them about how impactful um, their actions were for you at such a critical time? I mean, yeah, I, I did let them know. Like, I'll get a bit more into that. But yeah, so they were my safe haven during that time. And, you know, flash forward at Bobton University, I finally kind of adjusting this double life of getting a break. Um, but unfortunately, my freshman year, people were suspicious of me because I would leave campus a lot. And thankfully they never realized that I was going to this house, but another place that I would go to was a local park to also kind of de-stress and get away from the culture. And I was followed twice while I was on my way to this park by staff. And the first time I was followed, I recognized the person. I was like, oh, maybe I'm just being paranoid. Maybe they're not really following me. Like maybe they're just, you know, they're they're just maybe also taking a walk on the sidewalk. But once I started going down all these weird back roads that, you know, this person didn't need to really go down. Once I left the sidewalk, this person was following me and I was like, crap. So I had to like figure out a way to get away from them. So once I went around this corner, around a building, I ran like hell and I ran back to the college and I soon I see them a few minutes later, they're walking back also. And I'm like, shit, I'm like, they were following me and they followed me back here. And the second time it happened was it was at night where I was just so stressed, so frustrated. And I decided to go to this park at night and I went to it and I got back a little bit early before discipleship group started. So I wouldn't get in trouble. And my door, no, my residence hall assistant, he walked or he knocked on the door. He came into the room. And he was like, hey, Andrew, he's like, how are you doing? He's like, I hope you're doing okay. And I'm like, yeah, he's like, I'm really worried about you. He's like, I, I just saw you walk into some dark woods. And when he said this, I was confused a little bit. But what he was referring to was me walking into the entrance of this park, which is a very dark area, not many lights. So I thought it would be anonymous. And I was like, how did he know? Like, it was so dark. How could he see me? And I'm like, unless he knew I was going to be there. And so, yeah. And then he, then I'm like, what? And then he got back before me also. And it's just, so anyway, so in my mind, I'm like, he had to know that I was going there. He had to wait there and see what I was doing and then came back and then basically letting me know, oh, I know where you're going. Like, I know what you're doing. I'm watching you. And what was the thing that you were doing that they were so disapproving of? I mean, just going I mean, to the park was not allowed or what did they think you were, you know, up to no good? <laughs> I was not, I was not technically breaking any rules, but I think Bob Jones, they've learned 
behaviors of certain students who do not conform. And I think the fact that I would leave campus so much <laughs> was, I think, a sign to them that, oh, maybe he really doesn't want to be here. And like, where is he going? What is he doing? Is he possibly breaking the rules? And oh, let's catch him breaking the rules. Um, and I think that's what it was all about, seeing what I was doing if I was breaking the rules. And thankfully, my sophomore year, the monitoring and the following stopped that I was aware of because I was under a new leadership in a new dorm. Um, and I continued to break a lot of the rules, skipping church, listening to music that I wanted to, watching TV that I wanted to. There were things I had to do to get around that, like getting off of their Wi-Fi, like they could track what we did, I know, on search engines. And the one of the freakiest and scariest moments there was I didn't know that they could see the notifications that were on our phones because I got called into this guy's office in the dorm. Hey, Glenda, I see your reaction. <laughs> I know it's crazy. It's crazy. It's insane. But Glenda, and, Glenda has been reacting like her head's about to explode for the last hour. <laughs> Pretty much everything you say. I the level of control and like actual literal legitimate stalking yeah stalking, it, yeah it, I mean. yes most definitely yeah and so i'm called into this person's office and he and the thing when you get in trouble at bob jones you're called to the office it's always like nice little small talk at first and then they'll always ask you do you know why you're in here mm. and <laughs> they want you to like snitch on yourself for things you might not be in trouble for. And sure. like, I, I knew what they were doing and I was like, innocent. And I was like, I have no idea why I'm that, here. That always happens on sitcoms when somebody's accused. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I did that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, Oh, I have no, no idea. Good. And, and he was, and you know, and I, I had a clean record. Like I, I knew how to break the rules. I didn't have many demerits at all from past semesters. And he said, okay, well, our systems got alerted of a notification that came on your phone. And when he said that, I was just wow. like, what? I was like, in my mind, I'm like, your systems can be notified of what shows up on my phone, on my screen. Like, yeah, I mean, how I was is just, this? I don't understand how that's technologically possible or legal. I, yeah, I don't know either. And so he's like, yeah, he's like, it. There, apparently it seems like you got a notification from a dating app. And I was like, shit, shit. And thankfully it was not to grinder because I would have been <laughs> dead. Oh I would have been like, I would have been kicked out at that moment. But it was just, I think it was like Bumble or something like that. Some like general dating app. And, and these were not allowed either. Is that correct? And that's the thing. That's the interesting thing is then he says to me, he's like, yeah, he's like, and when I told him, oh, no, I'm not in any dating apps. So, yeah, so I lied to him. And he's like, yeah, he's like, technically, like, they're not against the rules. You're just not allowed to go off campus alone on a date or be alone with someone. And so here I am lied to his face. And I was like, oh, shit. I, I mean, I'm like, no, I can't backtrack because I just lied and that's enough to get me in a lot of trouble lying to this authority figure. So I'm, I'm usually, I was usually a very bad liar, but at this moment, like I was desperate <laughs> and something in my mind came up and I said, you know what? I was like, maybe I was, it's possible I was in the past and maybe they still had my email and the apps like sent me an email and it maybe that alerted your notification system and that keyword 
since I was familiar enough with technology, I was like, maybe this, that keyword came up and it alerted your system. Um, and they were like, oh, they're like, that is a possibility. You're right. And I was like, and I'm thinking I am. Okay, that's fine. Ooh, that works. Good job. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got out of that and I del- like got off their Wi-Fi, deleted all these apps. And I texted my friends. I'm like, do you know that they can see notifications on our phones if it's alerted? I'm like, I don't know how far they can go to control our phones. But I was like, just to let you know, like, be careful for what you do on your phones. Wow. Yeah. So it must be like someone's mentioning like something like the the Wi-Fi. Maybe they had some kind of full control over mm. visibility. Of yeah, Wi-Fi. it's possible. But, but still, yeah, it's, it's encrypted when it goes from point to point. I, I'm thinking maybe they made you put something from the university on your phone yeah. and that's what was doing it. There would have had to have been something that they made you sign, I would think. There, there probably was buried in all the admissions and yeah. code of yes. conduct, papers there was, and everything. There was something you're you're right about that, Rob, because there was something to connect to their Wi-Fi. We did have to download. I don't remember what it was. Some exactly. intermediate app that, that definitely could do that. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was something. Yeah. So. Bob, yeah, you, Bob Jones University spy app. You should have known by the name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's making me wonder too if they were honest about what the or, app was, uh, or if they not. just said you have to so, download this to use our our yeah to use our equipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, you're we did have to sign something and saying basically that yeah, you can. When I was when I signed it, I thought, oh, well, they can see what I do on a web browser. I never knew that they could get alerted of notifications on my phone. Um, I knew I knew they called it the the intranet is what they called it. The BJU intranet is like I think what we were signed into um for things. So I think that was their system that could track that. But yeah, so all this level of control and you know, flash forward. Bob Jones University can't, you know, the pand- I'm there when the pandemic starts, the school shuts down and here I am separated from this family that I met because they have someone who's immune compromised and I'm going back to North Carolina in an unaffirming home in a pandemic. And it was just so wild to see. And again, like the pandemic, it majorly triggered my rapture anxiety. I was like, oh my gosh, the world's coming to an end. And the IFB, like they loved to hop on this opportunity of the pandemic to scare people. They loved all of this. I had a coworker. Um, I don't know if she was in that specific cult. She was Russian Orthodox of some sort, but she homeschooled her kids, Bible literalist, young earth creationist. And she absolutely, I was there when the pandemic started with her and she absolutely believed. And I said, well, you know, the death rate is bad, but it's not like the plague that hit Europe. Do you know about that? A thousand, fifteen? Like, no, I never heard of that before. I mean, you know, that's another thing. I bet you guys were never taught history. So everything that happens now that's the least bit bad is the worst things that have ever happened. Oh, yeah. The world has never been this dangerous. That's right. Right. (laughs) Well, And I don't want to I don't want to rush you too much, but we got to start wrapping up here in the next five to seven minutes. And I want to hear the end of this story. I got you. Yeah, no worries. Um, But yeah, so the pandemic happened and ended up, again, still struggling a lot with my mental health and still dealing with the effect of religious trauma from these teachings and still some internalized homophobia from these teachings growing up. And 
thankfully I was able to get on medication finally that summer to help me deal with this because that was something in my late teen years that I tried to get on med medication, but my parents would not let me at all. Um, my mom was determined that they were all harmful. So you do not need to get, and it specifically related to mental health. She was like, no, you don't need, no, we don't do medication for mental health. And again, right. just read we your Bible. The joy of the Lord. Oh, yes. And so for me, I was able to get on that. And I, I did. I manipulated them. <laughs> I manipulated them to get on medication because I was desperate. I basically said that I would quit my job and I would never go back to Bob Jones University and I would just be in my room depressed all the time. And that was enough for them to be like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll let you be on antidepressants. <laughs> so that did it for me. <laughs> that worked. And it, you know, it did, it took a bit of adjusting to find the right medication, but once it did, it helped deal with the symptoms. It, you know, it wasn't going to heal my trauma, but it helped me like stay afloat basically in that storm. And basically that year at Bombers University, str again, struggling with depression, I, I had a mental health crisis and ended up meeting with a biblical counselor because there were no other options for mental health there. And he ended, once I told him my story and I just told him everything and laid out, like, and told him that I was gay, once I told him about all these different things I experienced in my life, a lot of just harm from these teachings, a lot of toxicity for people, harm for my parents, all these different things, he then said to me, oh, I see how you've been paying for your sin. And so he was blaming me for everything that had happened to me. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I was just... Yikes. In that moment, I was just that day having a mental health crisis. It was just like a stab in my spirit. Like it was just like, oh, and like for me, that was like the last straw for Christianity for me <laughs> at that wow. point. I was I'm like, this so is. I'm so glad you took that view and not <laughs> the alternative, which was to internalize all of that. Mm, yeah. And like for me at that point, like I was so done internalizing things. I was done with the shame and the blame, heard it my entire life. I was like, ah, no. And so after that meeting, I was like, all right, we are deconverting from Christianity. <laughs> and wow. it, 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 that's, and it, it, it was hard to get into and to begin that. Um, but what happened was I ended up, and it, really the when I revealed to this counselor at the end, I was like, you know what? I don't know if I really want to believe any of this anymore. And then he was like, you know what? As a biblical counselor, I'm not allowed to meet people who are not believers. So I can't meet with you anymore, but I pray, <laughs> I pray that you come back. So here I'm in a mental health crisis. And then he tells me, oh yeah, I can't meet with you anymore because you don't seem to believe this anymore. And I was surprised that they didn't kick me out because I said I wasn't a believer. I said I was gay, but I think because in that dynamic, I tried to seem, I guess, sorry about things like, I guess, people pleasing. People pleasing was something I did all the time growing up. I was just groomed to do that in that environment. And I think he felt like that I was going to come back. And I think his assumptions were right because I did have a, and I say this in air quotes, a reconversion experience. It was really, it was emotional manipulation. Um, and what happened was, again, I was beat down, beat down, beat down. And they 
told they had a sermon on like every part of it was just oozing with love and compassion which is very rare in fundamentalism then it caught me off guard emotionally because that was that's what i was needed i really needed love and someone to care like you know really genuinely care and it just caught me off guard and but in that 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 emotional high from that lasted a few days. But after that, I was like, "This is not the Holy Spirit. This is psychological emotion, uh, psychological manipulation. These are emotions. This is not real." So I was glad that I was able to come back quickly from that. But yeah, it's a, it was good you were in a place at that time to realize that. Yes, that and you know, and it was interesting because like they the things that they would tell me how I would feel happened, but I was like, no. And that's the thing. They tell you how to interpret your emotions and you're not allowed to interpret it outside of that. But for me, I was like, no, this is not the Holy Spirit. These are emotions. And so I then, because I was considered safe now in this guy's eyes, even though I didn't tell him, oh yeah, I think that was a manipulation. He discipled me for a semester and he told me, oh yeah, we're going to shift this into conversion therapy kind of towards the end. And for me, like I was genuinely curious about the discipleship part of it i wanted to learn from him because for me i'm like you know i really want to know my stuff before i leave this and so he didn't know that he was helping me deconvert he thought he was helping me bring me back to christ but i was deconverting throughout this whole thing and when it switched to conversion therapy that i I mean it was one session of like officially conversion therapy and like i don't remember what happened in it I remember going in the room. I remember leaving the room and that was it. But I think I just majorly disassociated because oh that's a God. that's a major trauma response for me is to just disassociate, to numb, to not be present in my body. And so when I left the room, not knowing what happened, I just felt the feelings of suicide coming back. I felt this extreme weight on my chest, the shame back, the worthlessness. And after that, I was like, I'm never doing that again. And so I cut things off with that counselor. They tried to bring me back, but I said no. And I know we're running out of time. So yeah. my senior year, I officially was set on deconversion. And I did like I was on a major path of deconversion for like ooh, six months of just digging into so much material all at once. And it was a lot emotionally. But I'm like, I have to cut myself off from this. I cannot jump back into it like I have to make sure that that will never happen again and what happened was I worked on a photo series um, on religious trauma and I publicly told my story of growing up in fundamentalism and this was in January of 2022 I publicly told my story of fundamentalism and I shared uh, my photo series and I publicly said I am done with Christianity uh, fundamentalist Christianity this is toxic this is harmful these are my experiences as a queer person and these teachings cause has caused so much trauma in me and many other trauma survivors and it was basically like let's question this authority let's question this system of control quit and i quit telling us this is the answer because it's not Mm -hmm. and so and I, I ended up, the interview I did was with Josh Harris, who wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. We connected online. And I he at this time, he had, you know, he had already publicly deconverted and apologized for his book. And he was giving a space for survivors to tell their stories. And so I told my story on his Instagram live. And that's how I got kicked out of Bob Jones for that, for coming out, denouncing fundamentalist Christianity. And what happened was, I was expelled and 
the family that I knew in right across the street, you know, when they found out about the interview before I was expelled, they called me and they were like, we're worried you're going to be expelled. They want to let you know that if you are, you can come and stay with us and rebuild your life, refigure things out in this major transition. And so that's what happened. I was kicked out and I moved in with them recently finished my college degree still I, I still live with them now as I I'm figuring out this life transition <laughs> oh my goodness I love that so much they're yes. they're your chosen family they are it's incredible <gasps> yeah oh that I I love I've been on an emotional roller coaster throughout this talk and I Aww. love that it ended on that note that is lovely yeah. and beautiful and good on you everyone is giving you a lot of love in the oh, chat thank by the way. you you are so brave i love that you just were like let me just go ahead and burn this down not not literally metaphorically speaking yeah <laughs> yeah i know and, and a lot of people are like why would you do that why would you just wait till you're out of that environment and then do it and what most people i think don't realize is i would have stayed in that environment if i wasn't forced out of it in that way and I was I was gonna be working at BJU Press after graduation so because I was too I didn't know how to leave that environment it, you know it was toxic but it was familiar I knew how to handle it but the expulsion was a way for me to be forced out and also I I wanted to bring awareness and spark conversation about fundamentalism, about the harmfulness of this system of control as a whole. And that's why I, another reason I decided to do it so publicly. Well, I think you have definitely been effective at achieving that goal. And I, it, I am so it's glad amazing. you that. Amazing. Hear, yeah. Hearing stories like this make me so happy. I was just raised Catholic. <laughs> I know. Yeah, this is this is a lot. And I have so many more questions I want to ask you about this, but we do have to start wrapping up. Are you going to be able to stick around for the hangout at all? No problem. I can. Yes, I can do that. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Because I know a lot of people have questions for you and Robin, I yeah. probably do too. But I do want to make sure and honor everyone's time and get us out of here sort of on time. And uh, then we'll uh, we'll go yeah. to the hangout because I have so much more. And then one, one last, one last yeah, thing I want to say please. is... yes. I'm I'm creating a podcast about Bob Jones University. It's called Surviving Bob Jones University of Christian Cults. And the trailer is out now for it. You can subscribe to it. Um, so I'm excited to expose this awful school. Yes. Thank you for doing that. And is it yeah. okay if I just put your your links that you put in the outline into the chat? Yeah, those, that yeah, dude, that links. works. Yes. Okay. I'm gonna do that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those. These are Andrew's links and it has the um, the link to the podcast promo that you're talking about. Uh, and you also mentioned a couple of resources that you wanted to share too about religious trauma, particularly religious trauma and being queer. Um, so I'm going to put mm -hmm. those in here too. And we do have a couple of questions that people have asked. Um, we'll get through as many of them mm -hmm. as we can. Um, Rob, do you want to get us started with the questions? Um, yeah, I might have lost attention for a moment. Okay. Did you say Probably. when uh, the podcast was going to actually premiere the limited series? Yeah, it's premiering August 23rd. Okay, pretty soon. Good. Awesome. Yeah, yeah that was that was my own question I had typed into the... But from uh, the people who have been uh, here, the questions we collected were... I'll read the first one, Cara. Yes. All right, what do you think of Nietzsche's quote, there was one Christian and he died on the cross? 
I was not aware that was a Nietzsche quote, but uh, assuming it is, is it fair to refer to any of these cults as Christian? Hmm. Um, yeah, that is an interesting question about that. And I think you would have to ask, like, what is a Christian? Yeah. And a lot of people have been arguing about what that actually means. <laughs> so I think you would have to define what a Christian is first. And I, I and I would ask, I don't know if you have an idea, like, what, what is this person? Did they say what their definition of that is? Well, yeah, that, I mean, to me, that's very strange because I, I like jesus was jewish i mean how yeah. is jesus a follower of himself that <laughs> and, makes no sense and like i like, don't did think you really say that that's bizarre the christian isn't even in you know if we want to go to the bible the christian isn't even in the bible at right, all right right <laughs> so <laughs> it's strange yeah, yeah but yeah i mean when i refer to the cult i grew up in i usually refer to it as a christian cult because it's bible-based and they they claim to follow jesus and i don't you know, there are people who say they're Christians, and then there are other Christians who say, "Oh, they're not real Christians." But oh yeah, yeah, I had a, my favorite <laughs> caller was somebody on the helpline who just wanted to teach me as an RFR representative that Mormons were not Christians, and that's all he wanted to say. He kept repeating it. Yeah, what an interesting agenda to call yeah. in with. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Okay, so this is maybe a fun question. Uh, someone is asking at Bob Jones University, do they still have the dating room? Oh, that's funny. Um, they do have like a a special like. Wait, could you tell us what it. that is for those? Of oh, got you. My bad. Yes, the I, context. I, know, I don't know what that is. Sorry. Yeah. In in the past, they would call it the. I think in the past they would call it the dating parlor. And this was like the area area you were supposed to be um, with your partner where everyone can see you and you're supposed to be like not you can't touch each other, but it was a way you could talk and converse and you were allowed to do it without sinning, <laughs> basically. And there were there chaperones it's there. Chaperone. See, it's like it's in public, like everyone could see you. So there were no chaperones okay. required. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm sure there was a leader somewhere in that room watching probably um but they do have they there's not an official dating room or dating parlor anymore their rules around dating are that you cannot be alone anywhere on campus you have to be out like in the dining common or in their food court where the chick-fil-a is and their papa john's is at or there was another um yeah i know chick-fil-a and they had like a special it's just kind of interesting that they did this they had an entertainment room where they, like they had um i'm sorry do uh, they have a hobby lobby if you want to yeah. buy a <laughs> They had an entertainment room where I was surprised they did this while I was there, but that you could play video games there. It was, of course, like Mario Kart that you could play, of course, because you weren't you weren't allowed to have any games that were like above a T rating. I think it probably even below that. But anyways, yeah. So they had an area to sit there, and if you were on campus with your partner, you had to be in a well lit space where everyone could see mm. you. So mm. that's how, so they don't have a special dating parlor where you have to be anymore, but I know they did in the past. Oh, sorry. I just had a flash visiting my cousins that I talked about. They were playing a video game where it was like, you 
get to play either Joseph or Mary or Jesus. Did you, did you ever see the game like that? I have don't not. pick Jesus. He dies at the end. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just walked out astounded. This is fun. Like, it's like, oh my God. <laughs> that sounds awful. Oh my goodness. Okay, we've got time for maybe one more question, Rob. Do you want to ask one? Oh my God. Yeah, so I actually thought of this while you were talking. Do you have any idea what percent of Christians in the U.S. are IFB? Ooh, have you ever looked is, into that? That's a good question. And or is, I, it, is it something that we wouldn't even have statistics on because it's not an official organization? Yeah, I. That is a good question, and I don't know the answer to that, but I want to okay. look that up now. I, I have um, one one more sort of connected to it. Well, I had never heard of it that mentioned IFB, and when I Googled it, the first thing I got was New Independent Fundamentalist Baptist, oof. and I found that there's two separate Wikipedia articles, one for independent and one for new independent. Do you know what the difference is there? Yeah, so I recently saw this, and in my when I first saw New Independent, I was like, oh, are they trying to make the IFB better? But no, that's not the case. Yeah. Um, the new IFB, I think it was founded by this guy. I think his name is Steve Anderson. Is I'm not sure if that's correct. Oh. But he's this hate preacher who goes viral all the time. But he wants to just keep it as extreme as possible. And I guess in his view, he sees the IFB as maybe becoming progressive, which oh. I don't know why he would think that the IFB is still so extreme. Um, so I don't know why he would want to start a new fundamentalist Baptist that would he would want to make it more extreme, but well, just put wait till the reform new independent comes out. <laughs> <laughs> and then the southern reform new independent. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm glad you cleared that up though. Actually, that's who I was thinking of when you said uh the IFB originally. I thought of that guy. Yes. So. Mm -hmm. Huh. Okay, so there's already sects. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oof. Oof. Okay. Well, this has been really informative and what a fantastic story. I didn't oh. I mean, I knew the story, but I didn't know it was going to go all these directions and I just I love how you managed everything and mm. came out of this with such courage in the face of everything that was going on. I mean, wow. <laughs> well done. Yeah, and thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that with us. I know it's a deeply personal story mm -hmm. and it's really meaningful to a lot of people to have heard it based on what people have been saying in the chat. So thank Aww, you for of course. Up about that. Recovering from Religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. Hope, Healing, and Support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There, you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local Recovering From Religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering From Religion website. It's also a big help subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at recoveringfromreligion.org. 
Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering from Religion podcast.